I, uh, I always appreciate the leadership we have in this church, and I, uh, I look around this room and see various leaders, but I, a couple that I want to mention this morning, all of you that have been going to the beach this year and getting your tan on and all that kind of stuff, the pages have the best tans yet. So y'all need to measure yourself against their tan, okay? Uh, and you're posting your pictures on Facebook. Just want to let you know that we all cry as we see you at the beach, and it looks great. So y'all have a good time. want to thank Daniel for filling the pulpit last week, and want to thank Wayne for, uh, for leading the worship last week uh, as I was away. We didn't go anywhere special, just stayed at the house and tried to get some of the honeydew lists knocked down. And that's about it this morning. Um, I want to mention to you, as always, we are happy if you've chosen to worship with us this morning for the first time, or if you're visiting with us, we hope this feels like home. And we ask each one of our regular members and regular attenders to look around yourself and step out in courage. If you don't know the person that's sitting near you, before we go home today, at least say hello and find out what the name is. We are happy that everyone is here, that God has brought us to this house to worship on a very special morning for us. Do remember that our, our goal here is to find Jesus and to give Jesus. This morning in the service, uh, this whole sermon is talking about Jesus. And I'm hoping this morning we will find him in a, a deeper way than we have before so that when we leave, we will not be ashamed of the gospel and we'll be able to share him with the people that we run into this week. Would you pray with me? Father, there are so many things that are on our minds this morning. And Lord, I pray that immediately that the only thought we have is of Jesus. That he is why we are here. He is what has brought us together. Lord, his love is what unites us. His mercy, his, his tenderness, his obedience is what you, the Father, have used to save us. And help us to realize that in a new and fresh way this morning. I thank you for everything you've, you've done. We've seen your hand in so many things. And we can't help but thank you for doing things that we, we could not have planned ourselves. So we thank you, we love you, and we look forward to hearing from you this morning in our hearts, in this place. And that we would worship you in a way that would be acceptable to you. And Lord, bring a smile to your face. In Jesus' name, amen. Matt Davis is going to come and introduce our ministry. ministry. I want to thank Logan and the orchestra, the choir, the band, the praise team. Y'all have been troopers. Y'all have stuck it out. You've done good stuff. We thank you very, very much. This morning was very good. We appreciate you. Chapter 19 of the book of John. Uh, going to do something this morning that, you know, I don't know. Going to read the whole chapter. It's long. I timed it. It's going to take me five minutes to read through it. But we need to hear it. We need to understand. We need to know what it says, and then we've got to understand why it says what it says. So if you got your, have your Bibles with you, or you can take one out of the pew, or if you want to listen along, you can. It is chapter 19 of the book of John. 
Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Here is the man. When the chief priests and the temple servants saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. Pilate responded, Take him and crucify him yourselves, since I find no grounds for charging him. We have a law, the Jews replied to him, and according to that law he ought to die because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was more afraid than ever. He went back into the headquarters and asked Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus did not give him an answer. So Pilate said to him, Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered him, if it hadn't been given you from above. This is why the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. From that moment, Pilate kept trying to release him. But the Jews shouted, if you release this man, you're not Caesar's friend. Anyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. And when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus outside, sat down on the judge's seat in a place called the Stone Pavement, but in Arabic, Gabbatha. It was the preparation day for the Passover. It was about noon. And then he told the Jews, here is your king. They shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side, with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put it on the cross, and it said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. And many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Don't write the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am the King of the Jews. And Pilate replied, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, a part for each soldier. They also took the tunic, which was seamless, woven in one piece from the top. So they said to one another, let's not tear it up, but cast lots for it to see who gets it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that says, they divided my clothes among themselves and they cast lots for my clothing. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clophus, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then he said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his home. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished... that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed 
a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch, and they held it to his mouth. And when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Since it was the preparation day, the Jews didn't want the bodies to remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a special day. They requested that Pilate have the men's legs broken and that their bodies be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and of the other one who had been crucified with him. When they came to Jesus, they didn't break his legs since they saw that he was already dead. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and at once blood and water came out. He who saw this has testified so that you also may believe his testimony is true. He knows he's telling the truth. For these things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And another scripture, they will look at the one they pierced. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with a fragrant spice. According to the burial custom of the Jews, there was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby. July the 13th was my four-year anniversary of my call as the pastor of the First Baptist Church Gray. Heavens to Betsy. Four years. But you know, my family and I came to First Baptist, I believe, if I figured it correctly, we came to First Baptist in 2004. Anna was in the ninth grade, and if I did the math correctly, which I may not have done, but I think I did, we would have come here in 2004. And for some of you that have been here a long time, you might think that's not a long time, but I have been at the First Baptist Church of Gray as a member longer than I've been at any other church in my life except for Davis Chapel Baptist Church where I grew up. And I'll tell you about Davis Chapel one more time. I'll remind you over and over again. If you look Davis Chapel up on the internet, you won't find it. It's not there. It's gone. It died. Because you see, in this world where everything changes around us, we have two choices. You change or you die. They refuse to change. And so they died. But here we are at First Baptist, and one of the problems, and this is a problem with me preaching to you guys, it really is, a problem that I have preaching into this church is I have been a member here for so long that before I became the pastor, I loved you guys and held you guys in very, very high regard. So you've got to remember one thing, you didn't choose me first, I chose you. My family and I came here and fell in love with the people of this church. And when I look around at these people, I see people who are clean-cut, upstanding people who have worked very hard to maintain a good reputation. That is a good thing. I am not saying anything bad about that at all. It's what we do. Where you are is no 
accident. Even if you are somewhere that you never planned to be, that when you were 18 years old, this wasn't the destiny that you've planned out, from wherever you've been, you've still worked very, very hard to be well thought of, reputable, honorable, hardworking kind of people. We're the kind of people that don't wake up in the morning thinking, what kind of mischief can I get in today? When we get into mischief, nine times out of ten, we did it with a good motive, a good intent. We just didn't think it all the way through, and we end up making a mess. But we didn't mean to because we're good people. But the problem with that is that it colors our understanding of the gospel. It does. See, we, we, we know that we're sinners saved by grace, and we're grateful for that, but we're good people. And many of us come from good families. The worst thing that we've ever done is maybe get drunk, or you did some dope, or maybe you got a divorce, or maybe you had to go bankrupt, or something like that. But even if you did those things, you have recovered and come to this place where the people that look into First Baptist Church, from outside First Baptist Church, see the pillars of the community worshiping in this house. We have a good reputation. And when I mention sin sometimes, like I did two weeks ago, my sin, sometimes I feel like I'm preaching something that you don't understand. Because I've held you in such high regard that you couldn't possibly have done some of the things that I did. And yet my favorite pastor, Steve Brown, admonishes young pastors. And he tells them, be very careful how you give advice to people older than you. Because you have not lived long enough and you have not sinned big enough to know what you're talking about. I have. I've lived long enough. And I've sinned big enough that I know you're just like me. You may not say some of the things I say out loud. And let me tell you this. You ain't going to know everything I did. It ain't none of your business. You might tell my mama. And it ain't none of my mama's business. I read this scripture. And I thought, there's so many things I could preach about it. There's so much in here. But one question kept going through my mind. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And you ain't going to like it. Because I don't like it. Why did this happen? When God created us, he created us in his image. We can use fancy word, imago Dei. And we were created in the image of God. Genesis 1:27 says, "So God created man in His own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. I do not think that means that when I die and go to heaven, that I'm going to meet a chubby, gray-headed old guy, that he didn't create me in that image. He created me with the attributes, some of the attributes that he had. And one of the attributes that God has is perfect freedom and he created us free that's why we like to celebrate the freedom of our country that's why we crave freedom God created that in us freedom 
But see, God is also love, right? And, and love isn't love unless it's freely given. You can't compel somebody to love you. You can try. It won't work. So this perfect God created us in his image. Through his love, he created us free. And because he created us, he knew how everything was supposed to work. And he knew how life was designed to live so that we would be perfectly happy, perfectly comfortable, perfectly full of joy, perfectly content. He had it all set up. He had one rule. We all know what the rule was. Don't eat from this tree. But he created us free because in order to love, we have to be free. And we saw the tree that he said don't eat of. And like every stinking two-year-old that has ever been born, what's the, one of the first words they learned to say? No. No. And so they ate of the tree. The impact of that has been devastating. The impact of that no, from Adam onward, everybody that's been born has said no to God. Everybody. Every last one of us. Even the fine, upstanding, honorable people who are members of or attend the First Baptist Church. And you know what? If we're good at anything, we're good at sin. We got that sucker nailed down good. And one of the things that helps us understand that is in the Christian Standard Bible, the word sin is mentioned 1,625 times. You reckon it's on God's mind too? And sin is serious. But we pay lip service to the serious of it, seriousness of it because we've heard it so many times. I bet if I went around the room, some of you would know what the Greek word for sin is. You know, we could parse the word. It's armatia. And that's, every, you know, a number of us would know that's what the Greek word is. What, is. what does sin mean? Sin means that we miss the mark. You know, like an archer shooting at a target, we miss the mark. And so we think when we've sinned, we just miss the mark. And you know what? It's like the Liberty Mutual commercial. It, nobody's perfect. And that's what we say. Do we understand the consequence of what sin has done to us? Where do you think cancer came from? Do you think God designed cancer in the Garden of Eden? Where do you think, where do you think strokes came from? It's because we said no to God. Where do you think murder and rape and incest and child abuse? Sin causes innocent children to be in foster care, not because the children have sinned, but because their parents sin. Sin causes families to split up. Sin causes people to be put in jail. Sin caused the Holocaust. Sin caused beheadings. Because of sin, listen to this and understand it, because of sin, for every 1,000 1,000 babies born in the United States, 358 are not born because their mothers choose to not let them be born. I'm not saying mama's bad, but we say it's a choice. 358, every 1,000 that are born, 358 aren't but could have been. 
That's sin. Let's bring it home. The bypass, where we've now got the roundabout, sin caused three people to get killed up there before Butch Reese turned it into a four-way stop. Front page of the newspaper, we had a drug bust in a pain, pain clinic right here in Grayberry. Doctor's supposed to be helping people alleviate his pain, and we find out he was helping a lot of people alleviate their pains. I guess I should say alleged. It hasn't been taken to court yet, but the paper sure does say a whole lot of stuff about it. And right here in the First Baptist Church of Gray, if you are going to work with children, let me rephrase that. If you're going to work with anyone under 18 years of old, 18 years of age, as a volunteer in this church, you have got to take a one-hour video course to teach you how to recognize a sexual predator when you see one. In this church, here, oh, Randy, that's overkill. Yeah, and when we get sued because somebody gets abused, you just tell me about it, okay? Because it's everywhere. This is what sin did. This is the consequence of sin. This is what's happened in our world. And let's take, let's, that, that still doesn't even get to the depths of it. Let me give us a rule. Let's don't do all the Ten Commandments. Let's do one. Let's take the third commandment. I told you you weren't going to like this. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Don't use the name of the Lord in vain. I'm telling you, old-time preachers got all fired up about this. You're not supposed to cuss and use the Lord's name when you cuss. And we were very serious about, no, that's, that's it, if that's all that it was. If that was good enough to fulfill this one, one rule here, anytime any one of us or anyone who claims that we're Christian or good godly men or women and we do something that brings dishonor on God, we have used his name in vain. Do you understand that? We are guilty. And do we need to go down the rest of the commandments to understand that everyone in this room has broken this commandment? And the people I feel sorry for are the little old ladies who have so fastidiously and meticulously their entire life made sure they didn't say one single cuss word ever. And they still broke the third commandment, not realizing what it says. Did you catch the second part of that? The second part says, because the Lord will not leave. This is important. The Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. Attributes of God, freedom, love, and justice. That's why you crave justice. That's why it drives you crazy when you see guilty people get off scot-free. Why? Because you were created in the image of God, and that's one of his attributes. You crave justice. A penalty has to be paid when a law is broken. A penalty that's befitting the crime. Pastor, all I did was tell a little white lie. Yeah, but the infinite God of the universe told you not to. And you have offended the infinite God of the universe infinitely. 
You have told God no. God we've said no to. Therefore, the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished. That's why 19 is here. That's why John chapter 19 is here. We need to hear and we need to remember the price tag that comes with us being able to sit here free and redeemed. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. But he was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities, Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. He was taken away because of oppression and judgment, and was considered, and who considered his fate? For he was cut off from the land of the living. He was struck because of my people's rebellion. He was assigned a grave with the wicked, but he was with a rich man at his death because he had done no violence and had spoken deceitfully. Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, he will see his seed, he will prolong his days, and by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. Pilate had Jesus flogged mercilessly for a purpose, not because Jesus was guilty or bad. He wanted, listen, listen and get this in your minds. Pilate wanted Jesus to be so torn up, so bloodied, so beaten, so bruised that when he brought Jesus out, anybody with just a modicum of compassion would look at him and go, oh, oh, nobody deserves that. Let him go. Let him go. That was Pilate's whole point. And when he brought Jesus out and they didn't do that, Pilate, what is wrong with these people? When the religious leader said he ought to die because he made himself out to be the son of God, did you hear in the scripture that Pilate became afraid? Because now he's invoked God and Pilate's going, now I've got these people and I've got Rome and now God. And he goes in, into, the, into the room He's already said twice, I find no grounds for charging him. That was not Pilate's words. He said them. Those were God's words coming through Pilate. There is no ground for charging him. Pilate knew he was innocent. And Jesus, he brought Jesus inside and he asked him, where are you from? And like a sheep, silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. So Pilate said to him, do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? You would have no authority over me at all, Jesus answered, if it had not been given you from above. And this is the part that keeps me getting choked up and absolutely kills me. Isaiah 53.10 Yet the Lord was pleased to crush him severely. 
The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. When you make him a guilt offering, your guilt offering, he shall see his seed, he will prolong his days. And by his hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. By Jesus' hand, Jesus' hand, the Lord's pleasure will be accomplished. And do you know what the Lord's pleasure is? Your salvation. Your salvation. My salvation. If you've got a child, what on this earth would make you proud to give him up, to be crushed severely? What would bring you to that point to give your child, that child, to die? There's one one thing he wanted to accomplish. That's you to be able to sit here. It's for you to be able to call yourself a Christ follower. For you to have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. For you to go to heaven when you die. It pleased him. The Father in his sovereign power ordained that Pontius Pilate would be the prefect over Jerusalem in 33 AD because he knew Pilate. And he knew Pilate knew the right thing to do, but he knew Pilate wouldn't do the right thing. He knew that Pilate is so much like us that sometimes he understands, and I know you've done this, I've done it, and I know I'm not the only one. You know the right thing to do, but you do the wrong thing anyway. Because the wrong thing just looked good. And so you did it. And then you found out that you were really right. It was wrong. And that's exactly what Pilate did. He overruled earthly justice so that heavenly justice would take place. The Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. He will not leave anyone unpunished. You don't have to believe it, but one day you're going to find out that God's word is true. Since the time that Adam blamed God for his sin. You remember when all that happened and Adam said, the woman you gave me, it was your fault. If you hadn't given me the woman, everything would be fine. Ever since that moment, the debt has paid up. The debt had to be paid. Someone that God himself could say, I find no grounds for charging him. That's why Pilate said it twice. I find no grounds for charging him. Only someone like that could pay the debt. And there was only one person like that God allowed his own son it pleased him then Pilate handed him over to be crucified then they and you might as well put the word we in its place took him away there we crucified him Jesus hung on the cross with all of its pain and humiliation until he finally said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, listen to words, words matter. Then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Nobody demanded it from him. Nobody took it from him. Nobody killed him. He gave up his spirit. People created in the image of God, created free. Adam chose to say no. Jesus chose to say 
Yes. The Lord was pleased to crush him severely. Pleased. That word tears at my soul. The son, the father was pleased to crush his son severely. What in the world would compel the infinite heavenly father, perfect love, to crush his own son? But God proves his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And for this reason, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. We've been studying John for a long time. We started John the first Sunday in July of last year. My purpose of us going through the book of John was for good, fine, upstanding people. And I'm not saying that sarcastically or pejoratively. We are, we try hard, but after studying Jesus for over a year today, I see me clearly. And I pray to God you see you clearly. That without the crushing of his son, you would not be a good person. You wouldn't have a chance to be a good person because there's only one good, and that's the Lord. We are, we are guilty. And as much as I love and respect you, you are guilty. And I am so broken that the Heavenly Father had to be pleased to crush his son severely so that we might live. And this could be very, this could be a downer for sure, but it's not because he loved us so much. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because the gospel saved a wretch like me. Heavenly Father, if I should suffer need and go unclothed and be in poverty, Make my heart prize thy love. Know it, be constrained by it, though I be denied all blessings. It is thy mercy to afflict me and try me with wants, for by these trials I see my sins and I desire severance from them. Let me willingly accept misery and sorrows, temptations, if I can thereby feel sin as the greatest evil and be delivered from it with gratitude to you, acknowledging that this is the highest testimony of your love. When I'm afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am dying, a condemned wretch, but in Christ I'm reconciled and I live that in myself I am feeble and unable to do good, but in Christ I have the ability to do all things. Though now I have his graces in part, I shall shortly have them perfectly in that state where thou wilt show thyself fully reconciled and alone sufficient, efficient, loving me completely with sin abolished, and I will see you face to face, and you will welcome me home.
you will welcome us home. O Lord, hasten that day. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Amen. I'm begging you this morning. Someone, please come forward and pray for someone who is lost because he will punish those who do evil. I pray for somebody to come forward this morning and pray in gratitude because you understand how much it cost for your sins to be forgiven. I ask you to pray someone to come forward this morning and pray for a great awakening in this church so the people outside the church could see the pillars of the community saying that it's Jesus that makes us who we are and not we ourselves. And this morning, if you realize for the first time that you're separated from God by your sin, I would ask you to come forward and talk to me because I can tell you the way home. I know it. I've been led there. And I can show you the way. Just stand with me.